everybody, this is Josh from Solopreneur Grind for episode 112 of the Solopreneur Grind podcast. I'm here with Dre Baldwin from Work On Your Game and his website, dreallday.com. Dre, thanks so much for coming on the show. Excited to be here, Josh. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to jump into it. Dre, can you just give us a quick intro, just a little bit about yourself and what you're working on right now? And then, you know, we'll go on our way of, of exploring a little bit about your journey. Sure. So I come from the city of Philadelphia, PA, and now in South Florida, Miami. Uh, backgrounds always in sports. Uh, didn't make my, well, actually played a little bit of, tried a little bit of every sport, tried a little bit of American football. Never really played because I didn't, never got around to getting the equipment. Played baseball for a minute, but I wasn't really talented at that. Finally got on to basketball around age 14, which is pretty late for someone who's trying to go somewhere in the sport, like college, let alone pro. But that was a situation. I only played one year of high school basketball and didn't score a lot of points. Scored about two points a game, which and I always tell people in soccer or hockey, you're a superstar. But in basketball, <laughs> you're not pretty, not too good. So uh, after high school, wanted to keep playing, but I didn't have any. It's not like colleges were beating down my door to be a player for them. So I went to college, but I had to walk on, which means nobody knew who I was. I wasn't invited, anything like that. I just had to literally walk into the gym earned my way onto the team, which I was able to do. And I did play college basketball, but I was playing at the Division Three level, which is the third tier of college sports. They don't produce too many pro athletes. So upon graduation, I still wanted to play basketball, still felt like I was getting better and I could make it as a pro. But at the same time, I had the same challenge. I didn't have anyone coming to me. I had to go to them. So I had to go make it happen to play pro ball. I went to one year removed from college graduation. So I worked at a couple of quote-unquote regular jobs after college. I worked at Foot Locker. As an assistant manager, I worked at a gym selling gym memberships. Then I went to an event called an exposure camp, which is basically like a job fair, but for athletes and it's not free. You pay to go to this event for the opportunity to get seen. I paid to go there, uh, played pretty well at that event. It was only two days, played pretty well there. I leveraged my performance at that event to sign with an agent. An agent in the sports world works similarly to a literary agent or a movie agent. They are basically the go-between between the talent and the jobs. So I was the talent, I wanted a job. So that agent helped me get my first job playing basketball overseas. And that was in, just to give everybody a time frame here, this is 2005 when my career started. Now at the same time, I started publishing. I took that footage from that exposure camp and I uploaded it to this brand new website called YouTube. And this hmm. is 2005 again. And that footage was actually, it was initially on this thing called a VHS tape. Josh, I don't know if you remember this. <laughs> yeah. So I took that VHS tape footage, got it onto a data CD, put it on YouTube. And that kind of started a parallel career for me which was just me posting basketball videos on the internet, just showing players how I practiced. Didn't know it was a thing. I thought it was normal that all players did what I did every day, but it turns out it wasn't. So hmm. when these players saw this no-name guy who was me, who looked like he can play, but we never heard of him, but he's showing people how to train, and my name started to spread through word of mouth. So to this day, many more people know me from being on YouTube than know me from actually playing professional basketball, go figure. Hmm. So. That is, I had both of those going at the same time, but around 2009, 2010, Josh, I found myself unemployed in the basketball world. Didn't have a job. I was a free agent waiting for the phone to ring. It was not ringing. And that's when I started focusing a little bit more on this thing that I had on the internet. Because by this point, I was blogging. I was writing about my experiences overseas. I started hmm. to write a little bit for the players who were coming behind me, how they could play overseas, or what was the mindset that you can use when you're going into those basketball tryouts or you have that one shot to make the team after a year of practicing so i started writing about those things and just talking about mindset because it just came naturally to me and that's when i started to build up what we now call a personal brand but at that time if any anybody listening remembers 
we weren't using that phrase that much at that time. We weren't barely using the phrase social media at that time. So I really started writing a lot more, publishing a lot more. I started putting videos on YouTube every single day. Wasn't sure I had enough ideas, but that was 8,000 videos ago, but I kept doing it. And yeah, around 2009, 2010 is when I created my first product. That's really how I became an entrepreneur full-fledged. I created a basketball training program. I was charging $4.99 for that program. Still sell them to this very day. We upped the price a little bit, but that's how I became an entrepreneur by selling those programs. And Josh, remember the night that I made my first sale. And it was so it was so rudimentary the way I had it set up that I didn't even have auto delivery. So it was a digital program. So if you bought it, someone would people were buying the program and then emailing me like, Dre, hey, I just bought your program. Can I get the program? So I had to go and actually send them an email with an attachment of the PDF document that I had made. That was the actual product. I did that for about a week before I realized it has to be an easier way. And I <laughs> discovered that auto delivery was a thing. So that's how I got into entrepreneurship. And then in around 2015, I was getting out of basketball. And at that point, I'd already been, I've been doing these videos on YouTube every week called the weekly motivation, where I was just talking about a mindset tip that was really made for the athletes. But I realized that it was applying to everyone because I started to draw a non-athlete audience to me through those videos. So by 2015, when I was getting out of basketball, I knew I'm just going to take this little piece here because I didn't want to be in the basketball gym every day for the rest of my life. And I'll take this little piece, the mindset piece, and I can apply this to everyone. I can still serve athletes, but also serve non-athletes. And that's what I've been doing full time since 2015. And fast forward, here we are. That's awesome. I, I want to go back more closely to the beginning, Dre, the, the period around 2005. What yeah. was the thought process or, or motivation to get started on YouTube? Because even as you were telling the story, it wasn't until like 09, 2010, where you said, you know, quote unquote, like started working on my personal brand, which wasn't even really a phrase, but really you started around 2005, right? Like once you started right. posting those videos online, what, what made you decide to do that? The reason that I did that in 05 was because I went to the exposure event and just mind you, I played college basketball from 2000 to 2004. So we had, I mean, we played in all the games, but the games would be filmed by a a, uh, a camcorder. You remember the camcorders where you put <laughs> yeah. the VHS tape in there? So these this footage was hard to find. And this, what what is interesting is that in between my sophomore and junior year, the coach that had recruited me, he lost his job and got replaced by a different coach. Now, I remember when I graduated, I want to play pro ball. So I knew for me to play pro ball, I didn't know a lot about pro basketball. Even to this very day, most of the material about how to play overseas basketball from the United States is created by me. So imagine mm -hmm. how much material I had to source from when I was trying to play zero. So I, one thing I did understand intuitively is that I need some kind of proof that I can play. Let me get some game footage of myself. Let me make a highlight video of myself from college and I can use that to entice pro teams to play. Challenge was I couldn't get a hold of any of the footage from playing in college because it's not like it's on YouTube and you can just pull up the video and download it and make your own clips. You had to get the actual tape, the right. tape, not a tape, the, it was only one tape. So I reached out to my sophomore year college coach, the guy who had lost his job, and I asked him, hey, I played good in you know, these three or four games. Do you have the footage? And he said, no, I don't have it because when I lost my job, you know, I was kind of pissed off about losing my job. So I just gave the tapes away to some of your teammates. Now, where are those guys at? I don't know. So this, this footage is nowhere to be found. So when I graduated college, I had zero game footage. And I even went as far, Josh, as I started calling the teams we played against. Mm -hmm. So I remember there's a couple of games where I, I might have dunked on a guy on a road game. 
So I called that coach and said, hey, I play for this team. We played against you all this year. Do you have this game footage? And they didn't have it. So I did I, everything I could do to find that game footage. It was nowhere to be found because back then it was only one copy of the tape. So I have no footage. So when I went to that exposure camp, one of the main reasons I wanted to go, Josh, was not only to prove myself against other pro-level players, because that's all you get there, but also because as part of the package of going there for your money, you get footage of every game you play in. So mm-hmm. I need some proof that I could play. I needed it on tape. So when I got that footage, that was the most valuable thing that I owned at that moment. And that's why when I got it, and I've always been into the internet, always uh, intuitively, as soon as I got on a computer, first time in my life, I knew it was for me. I didn't know what the internet would become, but I knew video was out at that time. And some people don't know this, but Google actually had a platform called Google Video. And they were trying to compete with YouTube. And so I had these footages, I had my footage on Google Video and on YouTube. And I only put it there just for safekeeping because I realized, okay, the internet, you can't lose the internet, right? Mm-hmm. You can lose the VHS tape, you can't lose the internet. So I just put the video on YouTube just for myself. And again, mm. at this point, Josh, I hadn't played a single game of pro basketball. I wasn't on TV. Nobody knew me. Nobody was going on the internet and typing in Dre Baldwin. They just saw this guy who we don't know, but he looks like he can play. So when they saw that footage, they just started leaving comments. Again, another new thing on the video saying, hey, who are you? Who taught you how to play? How often do you practice? Can you make more videos about this and this and this? Because I just looked like I knew what I was doing, not because they knew who I was. So that's how it got started. Right. It's so interesting. And and where I want to go next is, is that the commenting it like was it that or what was it that led to expanding the channel beyond just posting footage and one of the reasons why i'm curious and i think might benefit a lot of people is sometimes if you don't know what to do just do something like post some videos online because you never know what can stem from that right like so much of probably what you have right now you can trace maybe it's not like the direct result of but you can trace back to oh, it's because I started posting those videos on YouTube in 05. But where and, and how, or, or I, sh- I should say, when and how did just posting videos of yourself playing evolve into more, like those different types of content, answering questions? Was it quickly after? Was it? Did it take a, a little bit of time? So when I first posted like the first video, I saw the comments because I, I didn't come back to YouTube for like months. <laughs> what, what was YouTube in 2005? So you, so you posted it and then you just like walked like, ver- you know, walked away it. for a few months. Yeah. Yeah. Who cared about YouTube in 2005? Like back <laughs> yeah. then it was like cats running up the curtains and Johnny <laughs> bit my finger. Nobody cared about YouTube. Yeah. You're making YouTube videos and blogging between 2005 and 2008. You were a bum living in your parents' basement who needed to get a real job. Right. That was the that was the way people looked at it. Mm-hmm. So. I didn't care about YouTube, but when I did go back, I saw that there were comments on the videos and these were players were just asking me questions that showed me that they figured I had answers. So I realized that this is an underserved audience. These people need the same thing that I used to need. And I'm 24, 23, 24. And they are like a generation behind me. And they're just like me. They want to play basketball, but they don't have anybody to teach them. The advantage they had over me was that they could go to the internet and crowdsource information. And I happen to be the source. So I started making videos a little bit more often, but it was still very sporadic from 05 to about 08, 09. It was still very sporadic whenever I got around to it. I would record something and it would sit on my computer hard drive for months before I got around to editing and putting it up. Because again, who cares about YouTube? It was no money to be made. I wasn't getting paid for it. So who cares if I make videos for these random kids on the internet? Who cares? Mm -hmm. And then it was around 2009, a friend of mine sent me an article to a in uh, an article in a newspaper 
It was this woman named Michelle Fine. I don't know if people heard of her. She's an Asian woman who did um, makeup tutorials. And that was one of the first things that blew up on YouTube was makeup tutorials because it's, it's perfect for video. And you have to see it, like makeup, you have to see somebody doing it. And she had gotten a deal with YouTube to where YouTube was gonna pay her money to post videos. And this person sent me a message with the video that said, with the article that said, Dre, I know you make those little basketball videos, you know, maybe you could get a deal with YouTube because you do the same thing. So I looked into it and this was right around the time Google had purchased the company and they were looking at ways, uh, how do we actually make money from this? Because YouTube was bleeding money in the early years. And a lot of people don't know that because all the bandwidth Mm-hmm. That they were paying for and then they opened up what they called the partner program to where you could make money with ads that ran on your videos so for those of you who are the, the millennials who are listening to this like there was a time when you could watch youtube all day and not see a single ad that was right before this happened so you back then you had to apply to actually get ads run on your videos so i had to apply i got rejected the first time because I had too many like music, I had music in the background, but then I went and did it again. And I said to YouTube, look, I'll put, I'm gonna post videos every single day. I didn't know how, how would I come up with that many ideas, but I challenged myself to do it and I started doing it. And that's kind of how it got started was number one, I knew it was an underserved audience. So every time I put out a video, it was getting a lot of response, but at the same time, I couldn't invest but so much time into it because I wasn't getting any ROI. You know, mm-hmm. it was there was no dollars to be made from it, and I didn't have a product to sell. But then, when YouTube will pay you money to run ads on your video, and the more views you get, the more money you make. I said, okay, now I have a reason to do more of this, and that's when I started doing more, and that's how I started to draw more and more people started to come into it because you know YouTube's trying to make their money back, so they started marketing, get more people on the website, and that's when more people start seeing my stuff, and it was a lot of it was spreading again word of mouth. I wasn't running any ads or anything like that. And that's when more players saw it. And then players just started asking me things like, yo, can you make a video about this? Or can you explain this? Can you talk about this? Because I was already at where they were trying to go. And they, because of my background, they saw themselves in me. And I always tell people for every one LeBron James, you got a thousand Dre Baldwins. Right. So he had to go with Rick Rude. I had, I still made it, quote unquote, made it, but I had to go through a lot more to get there. So most of those players could relate to me. They might look up to him, but they could relate to me. So right. that's how that's how I start to kind of build that audience of players. Right. Very cool. Other than the comments and questions, what other what else did you do or what other exercises would you recommend for people to come up with ideas for content? Because posting a video a day, that's that's a lot. Right. And uh, I'm assuming your videos weren't like 30 second snippets. Right. Um, any recommendations? Yeah. I mean, maybe that's part of the response, right? Keep them short and simple. But uh, yeah, what was it like for you? It wasn't so much because of the length. It was, that was just because of the genre. So so right. a lot of what I was doing was just basketball drills. So I, and when, you're doing uh, a, when you're practicing a sport, it's the same thing over and over and over again. So each video I made, well, my, it would be somewhere between one and three minutes. But I'd be doing the same move over and over and over again. And I would mm-hmm. just be showing players and explaining how I do it. But if it's something else, it can be longer. It's really just about the, you know, how much value do you have to share? If you got five minutes, you got an hour, you got 30 seconds, whatever it is that you need to give people. So I, I try not to tell people to make it based on length. But for me, the answer to your question here, Josh, is the first thing that I did when I uh, boasted to YouTube that I would put out a video every day and wasn't sure how, was I started writing down everything I knew about basketball. What's everything that I know about the game that I could explain on video, that I could explain and demonstrate on video. And I came up with maybe 30, 40, 50 ideas, but that's not gonna last forever. That's not even two months. 
The next thing is, and this is what I, I later on did, it didn't take me about a year or so to come up with this, is I came up with a system that I could duplicate and do over and over again. So to make this, I'll try to explain it simply for people who don't understand basketball. For every move that I did, any, any kind of drill or move that I would do, I came up with a system of about 40 different variations of that move. So let's hmm. say do the move going to your right hand and make a layup, then do the same thing going to the left hand, then go to the right and shoot a jump shot, go to the left, shoot a jump shot, go to the right and shot fake, go to the left and shot fake, go to the right, step back, left, step back. So that's eight right there. And then we add in a whole bunch more variations. And every time I came up with a new move, I would just plug that move into my list of variations and that's going to produce 40 videos. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. So that system, I just replicated that system and I did that system over and over again. So every day when I went to the gym, Josh, I knew exactly what I was going to be doing because all I had to do was just follow my own system. So all I did was just plug it in and I went through that over and over and over again every single time, every day for what was that? Six, seven years. And that's how I created right. so much content. And, and it's so relatable in so many ways in almost any area of business, right? If you create a system to do something, it just makes it that much easier to be consistent at it and, and to get it done day in and day out. So that, that's great advice. Right. I want to take a quick side note here and ask about just what was it like playing professional basketball overseas? I, I played plenty of sports growing up, went nowhere, you know, nowhere near pro, but more of a personal interest question. What was it like? Where did you play? You know, was it a good, was it a good experience? We've heard some horror stories about, you know, certain sports in certain countries. So I'm, I'm just curious to know more from like a sports fan perspective. It was, is very, it's fun. I mean, it's a, the best job you could possibly have is literally playing a game for a living. <laughs> I mean, there's no job better than that. It's like I told you, I was working at Foot Locker before that. So you're traveling the world, first of all, for a person like myself. By the time I graduated college, I had barely been out of the state, let alone out of the country, right? So you get to travel the world and see places that you otherwise probably would not see. I had never, by the time I signed my first contract, I was 23, I'd never even been on vacation, let alone had I you know, traveled anywhere. So I'm in, my first job was in Kaunas, Lithuania. Uh, from there, I played on a, a traveling team in the United States and I saw some places in the United States I never would have seen had it not been for that. Uh, Mexico, I was in um, Germany, Montenegro, Slovakia, the UK, hmm. I'm forgetting a couple places a few places in between i can't remember everywhere but i was in eight different countries over the course of uh, almost 10 years but to answer your question it was it's really fun you're traveling the world you're seeing places i wouldn't see you're basically to all your friends and family back home you're living the dream right because you're doing things that they can't do and you're doing it while playing a game even when you have a bad game or the coach is getting on your nerves or you don't like the living conditions or look where you're at Right. you're getting to see the world in ways that other people will never be able to see it and never will. So it's hard to complain to anybody back home when you're in those situations. So to answer right. your question is, is everything that it looks like. Right. That's very cool to hear. Does, does doing playing a sport as a job, maybe taking away the travel stuff, which sounds incredible. Does when, when basketball became your job, quote unquote, for those that are listening and, and not watching on YouTube, did, did that change it at all? Or did that change your perspective on the sport at all? Not at all. 
No, I loved it the entire time. I wanted to mm. play it as a job. So when I was, I decided right. around age 16 that I wanted to play pro. I had no idea how mm-hmm. I would do it, but I had decided as a teenager. So that was absolutely what I was pursuing since high school. Right. That's cool. That's awesome. Sounds great. So Dre, let's let's go back to kind of, we'll call it like starting or kind of scaling your personal brand, you know, YouTube and, and blog. Once you kind of got that in your head that, okay, you know, I can make money from YouTube. I'm going to take it more seriously. I'm going to be more consistent. What were those first kind of like six to 12 months like? Was it a slog? Did it you know, did, did traction come pretty quickly? What was it like trying to change it from, okay, this is a little bit more of like a hobby, creating videos, not to like, oh wow, this could be a real business. What was that like? It, it actually scaled up pretty quickly simply because I wasn't trying to make it into a business. Hmm. And I didn't, at the same time, I still have my pro career going. So at that period, when I started to invest more in it, I was unemployed, but I became employed again. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I needed the this internet thing to become something. But I remember telling a friend of mine at that time, like, whatever this is that I'm doing on the internet is going to be bigger than what I'm doing in basketball. Because I mm-hmm. knew that eventually the ball is going to stop bouncing. But and also I knew that for me to keep doing my thing in basketball, someone had to approve of me and sign me to a contract. But on the internet, I was the boss. So to answer your question, that first year, let's say around 09 is when I started doing the YouTube started giving me ad revenue, but also I started creating my own products and programs. That's really where the business part came in. It wasn't the YouTube ad revenue because they can change that anytime they feel like it. It was really when I started creating my own products and people were buying them. And like hmm. I told you, when I made that first sale, it was only $4.99, but I said, okay, if I can take an idea out of my head, put it out to the world and people will give me money for it. I can do this forever. Now, I can't jump 40 inches in the air forever. Mm-hmm. but I can use my brain and turn it into money forever. So that's, that was really the, the light bulb moment was that thing there. And as far as it going, like I said, I wasn't really marketing or advertising. I was marketing, but I wasn't doing any ads or ad campaigns or joint ventures or affiliate marketing, none of that. All I was doing was putting videos on YouTube and putting a link in the description and saying in the video, hey, go to this website if you wanna get programs on how to do this move and how to do these drills. I did that for years, Josh, and it was only around maybe 2014, 15-ish, YouTube changed their algorithm to stop people like me because we were basically using them as a free uh, lead generation site. So right. they, they changed their, they changed their uh, algorithms around to shut us down. But by then, I had a little bit more information and knowledge, and I was on my way out of the game anyway. So because I was putting so many videos out, and this is way before every basketball player in the world was doing it, I was, I dominated that market. So if you looked up a basketball video between 2005 and 2014, and you looked up basketball on the internet, you would see my name, guaranteed. There was no way you Mm. could. I basically flooded the market with my name and with my material because I put out so much of it way before it was a cool thing to do. That's awesome. Do you recommend for those who are starting out, whether it be YouTube or blogging or some other social media platform, is it important to have a product created or ready to go pretty early on? Or, you know, can you wait? What are your thoughts there? No, you don't need a product at all because a lot of the people who come across you at first are not going to buy your product because they don't know you. Mm-hmm. The, the agreed upon price for someone to test your stuff out is free. That's the agreed upon price, right? Mm-hmm. So this show right here, people didn't pay to listen to this conversation. And I mean, look how many, how many 
hours of material is consumed on a YouTube or Facebook or an Instagram or TikTok every single day, completely free of charge. I mean, we're, we are paying, we're paying with our privacy and our time, but as far as money, we're not paying any, anything. So no, you don't need a product at all because I didn't have a product for five years. I was putting content on the internet for free. I had no product and no one was asking me for a product. They were like, we just love what you're doing right now. It wasn't until someone left a comment asking about a product that I got the <laughs> idea like, hey, I can make a product about, I can make a product out of this. But I had built up such a groundswell of, I had people's attention. I had already built up so much goodwill and I'd already given them so much value that by the time I offered the product, I didn't have to do any hard advertising or hard sell. I just had to let them know that I had it. So to answer your question, no, you don't need a product at all. What you need is a ton of value and you need to be giving it to people over and over and over again so that you are the source for them on that topic. Whatever that topic is, you want to be the guy or the girl that they are all coming to and that they're telling all their friends about who have that same challenge so that when you do offer something, you're not competing with anybody. And that's how it was for me. I wasn't in competition with anybody else by the time I released products because I was the guy that they came to for learning how to play basketball. Right. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Any tips for deciding or figuring out how to come up with those, you know, that first or those those first few products? Like, how did you decide what they would be? Yeah, it was easy because I was giving so much value to my audience and making myself open to my audience. Those are the first two things. Give a ton of value and make yourself open to them, meaning if people are leaving comments, read the comments and respond to them. If people are DMing you and emailing you and texting you, respond to their messages because when they see that you'll respond, first of all, they'll keep talking to you. And secondly, they'll tell their friends about you. Like not only is mm -hmm. this person good, but they'll actually reply to you because on the internet, like you're like a, when you are on the internet, you have a platform, you're like a celebrity to certain people. And for you to respond to them is a big deal. It kind of, it can make their day. So I've always been responsive to my audience online. And because I was responding to them, people would bring me, they would ask me their questions. They would tell me their real challenges and they would also offer suggestions. Now, some of their ideas were crappy, but some of them were good. So when mm -hmm. they, somebody offered me an idea and said, Dre, why don't you just write down all the drills that you do when you work out? And I said, okay, I'll do that, but I had to charge for it because I'm giving you, a, that's a lot of value. And people said, we'll pay for it as long as, you don't as long as it doesn't cost too much. So this is the next piece is understand who your audience is. So I knew that my audience was a bunch of 13 to 24 year old, mostly young males who wanted to play basketball. Now they, they don't have a ton of money. They, most of them don't even have jobs, right? So I knew if I made the price low enough that it was a low barrier to entry, but they could buy it. So that's how I got to that 499 price point. So it's a ton of value so that you have people's attention, respond to your audience. And then as you keep responding to your audience, people are going to ask you things. People will say to me, I've had, I don't know how many people come to me and say, Dre, do you offer coaching? I wasn't even advertising coaching, but because I'm given the value and they see how I communicate, the people who are interested in going deeper will ask me, or they say, do you have anything on this? Do you have anything on that? And these are people who are already ready and willing to buy because I've been given so much value. So if you look around, you're competing with for attention and eyeballs with a whole bunch of free materials. So giving people so much value to where they're already coming to you and metaphorically waving their credit cards, you know, asking you, how can I pay for this? Do you offer this because I'm willing to pay for it? That's the position that you want to put yourself in. And I did that again. I wasn't even trying. But when I deconstructed now that you're asking me these questions, that's exactly what I did. Yeah, and it, it almost sounds like a great way for people who might want to get into business and maybe they have a particular interest or expertise or passion 
but they don't know what kind of business, quote unquote, to start. This is a great model, right? Pick a platform, right. start putting out content, create a ton of value, and the rest, like if you do it well and, and consistently, can kind of just fall into place over time, right? So it's it's a great kind right. of it's a great strategy to model. So Dre, let's let's go to 2015, 2014, 2015, and, and you said YouTube kind of you know catches on to some of what's happening, changes their algorithm. Yeah. What did you do? <laughs> How did you adapt there? Yeah, well, by that point, I'd already started writing books. So I wrote my first book in uh, 2010, and I'm still playing ball at this point. And I've written probably about 2014, 15. I probably maybe have five or six books written. So I was starting to hmm. get people into the writing. They were getting into reading my writing stuff. And I knew I was getting out of basketball. And at the same time, now a bunch of basketball players are starting to do what I'm doing. Now everybody, quote unquote, hopping on YouTube, making basketball videos and most of them honestly are way, way better at video editing than I was. Like you go look up any of my basketball videos, you can tell there's very little editing done. I'm not an editor. I just, I create, I put it out. I don't care what it looks like. And these days that probably doesn't fly so well, but back then it worked. So by that point, when YouTube puts out there, I noticed the change in the algorithm. They even announced it. I already knew I was about to get out of basketball anyway. So I'm starting to think about how can I take this piece, this mindset piece that I was already working on how can I start to transition that over? So that's how I, I eventually found myself a mentor around 2014. This is a woman who was already in the thought leadership world. She was doing speaking gigs, coaching, consulting, things like that. And when she looked at what I had, first of all, she was interested in me because I already had a platform and I was already publishing. And because she saw that I was publishing every day, she knew that I would probably follow through on anything she told me. And she told me she talked to a bunch of people who asked for her advice and they didn't do anything. But she knew I would. So she just started to explain to me, like, right, you need a, a framework in a way that you can explain this to someone who doesn't play basketball. How can someone who doesn't play mm -hmm. basketball get value from what you've learned? And what are the pieces from sports that a non-sports person, person who puts on a suit and tie and goes to an office every day, what can they get from you? And one of the things that she knew, a really valuable insight, Josh, was that athletes you know one thing we there's several things that we need in sports that business people need uh, leadership teamwork uh, showing up every day uh, believing in yourself performance motivation everybody loves some kind of motivational speaker even if they forget everything they said the next day like they like that stuff so all of those aspects of being an athlete you need in the business world and she explained to me like oh business people love athletes because of these pieces and so all I had to do was just extract what are the pieces that I needed in sports that I could use and that someone could use in the business world. And I already had them because, like I told you, I've been doing these weekly motivation videos. It was only once a week. But I was talking I would talk about mindset pieces and people would always say to me, Dre, this is in the YouTube comments. Dre, the stuff that you're saying, like you sound like a college professor. You sound like a philosopher. Right. You're not you don't even sound like a basketball player. And they're saying that when you get out of basketball, you could be a coach or you could be some kind of a, a professor or speaker or something like that. And that was always it was just my natural inclination. And again, it was just the way that I like to explain and break things down even more than I like to play basketball. And it lasts longer than playing basketball. So I already had all I had to do was just extract those pieces that I had used myself. And that's where my whole philosophy came from it's discipline, confidence, mental toughness and taking initiative. And those became the foundation of the work on your game philosophy and i didn't start calling it that until maybe a couple of years later but that's what i started with was right. taking those mindset pieces
right? There, there's so many, there's so much overlap, I think, between sports and, and business. So it, it totally mm-hmm. makes sense. And I'd never thought of it that way to kind of take your message or your values or your principles you're teaching in one thing and just kind of like strip it down to what could apply to something totally different and it can still be so powerful and effective so that that's really interesting so how have things changed since then dre from kind of more of a a basketball centric um you know more social media youtube style focus to business How, how are things different um, the other thing I'm curious about is like, what's a very common problem you see amongst when you're working with business people, and yeah. what do you what do you recommend to them to to handle it? Man, it's a lot there. So <laughs> you can break all, it up if uh, I, I yeah. packed a lot into one one question there. Yeah. So the first thing is when I first I got out of sports, my thing was I'm going to get into professional speaking. That's what I wanted to do because I have I had a thousands of videos on YouTube. I'd done all this speaking, but on the Internet. So I figured, all right, let me get on stages and I'm going to blow people away. It'll be great. But it's a lot harder to kind of break into that world because it's a it's a um, it's an industry that has certain norms and certain expectations and you got to you know quote unquote pay your dues with certain people and things like that. So I did I did do professional speaking, but it didn't I didn't make that my entire business because I didn't want my business similar to, to basketball. I didn't want it to be owned by gatekeepers who say you're in or you're out. So I did some speaking, but again, not making it my whole business. I already had books. So I focused on selling more of the books. I kept using social media. And to this day, I still use social media to market and promote my stuff. And let's say between 2015 and up through even 2019, let's say all up before the virus and all that stuff, I would do speaking gigs. I had coaching. I would do selling courses and stuff online, selling books online. And that's I pretty much had this all these things going on all in one ecosystem. And then once the the virus and stuff hit and there's no speaking gigs, there were no zero speaking gigs for a year and a half. I figured, no, let me just eliminate that and focus on what I can control and what I own anyway. It's a it's a better business model anyway for things that I have control over and I can use the Internet. I can use marketing and I can own all of my audience. I can own my customers, so to speak. So that's what I've been focusing on over the last it's 2022 now. So let's say the last uh, two plus years. It was a few other questions you asked there. I can't even remember them all. Yeah, well, one of them was switching over to working with business people. Mm-hmm. What are some of the common struggles or issues that you find yourself faced okay. with through them very often? One of the common challenges that business people have that athletes also have is that they operate by incorrect formulas as to what actually produces a desired result. Mm-hmm. For example, I would get basketball players who would reach out to me even to this very day, I still get this. Players will reach out to me and they'll say something like, Dre, look, I go, I come to all the workouts. I'm, I show up early for practice. I leave late. I'm always doing, putting in extra time, extra work, and I work my butt off. But in the games, I still don't actually get off the bench. I don't get in the game. My teammates don't pass me the ball. They don't respect me. I don't understand it, even though I'm doing all this hard work. And then business people, entrepreneurs will say something similar. They'll say, well, look, I put a lot of time into making these posts for social media and I put all this time into creating this product or service or offering or I see this other person who seems to have all these followers and they're making all this money, at least it appears, from their business and my stuff is probably comparable or maybe even better than theirs, but 
I'm struggling to make money. I'm struggling to pay my rent and keep my head above water. And I don't understand why that is because I'm putting in just as much work, if not more than anybody else. That's an incorrect formula because the formula for producing a result is not hard work and believing in yourself and you no know, quote unquote being a good person. Formula for producing a result is what is going to lead someone, let's say in the business world, what's going to lead someone to open up their wallet and exchanging their money for what you're offering? That's the formula. That's the whole formula. Now, whether you're a good person, whether you believe in yourself, whether you're upstanding morally, none of those things actually matter. Now, a lot of people don't like to admit that, but it's true. Uh, you don't have to be a good person to make money. Uh, you don't have to be a, a morally upstanding person to make money. You can be a complete jerk and be rich if you're following the right formula. And it's the same thing with basketball players. I would tell them just because you work hard doesn't mean you deserve to get in the game. What if your teammate works hard and they're better than you? All right. One of you is getting in, one of you is sitting on the bench. And so a lot of entrepreneurs, and this is just people in general, really, Josh, is that they operate by these formulas that we were taught by our parents, by you know, some motivational speaker, by our elementary school teachers that work hard, believe in yourself, you know, do all the you know, quote unquote good stuff, and you're going to be deserving of success. And it's not the way that it works. When you right. don't follow the formula, you don't get the result. And sometimes those elements are parts of it, but they are accessories too. They're not the reason for it. Right. That's great, great advice. What would you say, Dre, has been maybe one thing that's really changed a lot and maybe one thing that's stayed the same in the last 20-ish years now that you've been you know, posting on social media and creating content? Because that's obviously a big part of almost any business, personal branding, like everyone knows or everyone thinks that you know they should be creating content. So specifically, because you've been doing it for so long, like about as long as you can possibly be doing it on the internet, what are what's like one key thing that's changed and one that stayed the same? Yeah, I mean, I've been creating content since before we called it content. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so um, one thing that has changed is, well, the biggest thing that's changed is that everybody's doing it now. Right. There was a time, the 10, even about 10 years ago, it started to flip. This is about a little under 10 years ago when there was only certain people making content and everybody else was looking at it and it was like, oh, that's cool, that's cute. But then when people saw that there's a way to maybe make money from this and get known from it and get attention, then every quote unquote everybody started doing it. So that's one thing that's changed is that it's a lot more crowded now when it comes to people publishing and trying to get known from it. And one thing that has stayed the same is, hmm, Actually, let me tell you another thing that has changed is that when it comes to getting the ROI, like the, the bang for your buck on social media, it's a lot harder now. Actually, it, harder is not the word, is that you need to be more strategic about it is the better mm -hmm. way of looking at it. It can be hard for people who don't understand strategy. And these are the people who say, well, I put a lot of time in and I'm publishing all the time, but I'm still not making money from my social media. Well, that's because publishing is not the way you make money. Uh, you make money by making sure you get your message to the people who want to buy it. And that's a completely right. different thing than publishing. You can publish once a week and make more money than someone who's publishing every day. It's just a matter of what you're offering, who you're offering it to, and how you're packaging it. And that is just a matter of strategy. And one thing that has stayed the same is that the social media platforms are still doing the same thing they were doing back then. They're just better at it and right. that they are uh, offering us a quote unquote free software and it's not costing us any money out of pocket, but they are uh, sucking out of us our most valuable resource, which is not money, but is our time, attention and focus. And a lot of people don't really understand that. And that's like the secret that the social media platforms don't want anybody to know. It's like the open secret. 
that you're paying with your time and attention. That's way more valuable than your money. And I think there's going to come a time, maybe in the next 10 years, that this is going to be like this big reckoning where everybody's going to be talking about it. And the social media platforms are going to have to, you know, quote unquote, apologize. But they're going to keep doing it because they are these platforms are designed, scientifically engineered to get people to give all of their time to them while they're giving you nothing in exchange except a bunch of dopamine hits. So it's kind of like a drug. It, it almost is like a drug. Yeah. That hasn't changed at all. They've just gotten better at it and they've gotten more people. It's like the network effect. So that's the one thing that has not changed. Yeah, and apparently some of these, if not probably most of them, have whole teams of designers just figuring out how to keep people on for longer, how to keep oh, people more do. engaged. It's it's crazy, yeah. but that's a whole other <laughs> rabbit hole. Uh, Dre, just a, one or two more questions here. I'm going to ask a quick selfish question. I'm, I'm currently training for a race, and right after this, I have to go do a long run outside, and I've been I've been dreading it a little bit today. What's a what's, what's distance? Uh, sixteen kilometers. I'm up here in Canada, so I'm gonna go run outside about sixteen kilometers. Any um, okay. any motivation or any tips on on how to stay motivated through especially you know tougher days or, or activities that might not be the most fun in the in the short term? Sure. What is the what's sixteen k to miles? Uh, probably about like nine or ten i think it's like a little bit less than half looking it up yeah about 10 miles yeah okay all right 10 miles not that hard you could do 10 miles i like a, i prefer 10k distance so you you do a little bit about 50 percent longer than what i like but uh for that and what's the temperature up there Maybe this it'll be here. about it'll be about seven or eight degrees below zero. Oh yeah okay now i understand yeah. <laughs> that's a warm day in february in canada i'm, I'm based in toronto but I've, yeah. I've gotten used to it because of covid i've had to run outside a little bit more i've actually gotten to enjoy it it's it's more the distance right. i'm not looking forward to right now okay understood so yeah what you're about to deal with if since you're not feeling like it we call that the third day so the third day is and this is something that i i used to talk to basketball players about because i when i would make these videos and I'll relate this to the answer to your question. These players would see me making these videos. I'd be in this gym by myself practicing, an empty gym. And these players would always ask me, like, Dre, how do you always have an empty gym to yourself? Do you have a, a basketball court in your house? Do you own a gym? Do you rent it out? And I would say, no, none of that. Or they would say, do you get to the gym really early? Do you go really late? And I would say the real reason why the gym is always empty is because of this concept called the third day. So the first day, like right now, we're recording this late February. I don't know when this is going to come out. But at the beginning of this year, we know in the gyms and even outside, maybe on your running trails, Josh, you probably saw way more people than usual, right? Because at the beginning of the year, everybody says, right, this is the new me. I'm leaving the old me in the past. I'm going to go work out. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to run every day, three times a week, whatever they said they were going to do. The first few weeks of the year, that's the first day, metaphorically speaking, everybody's out there. By the second day, that's around this time, probably by the end of February, you got about the second day. You got people still out there more than before, but... Uh, significantly fewer. You can notice that the crowd has thinned out. By around right. Easter, by around April 1st, you're going to be on the third day. Third day is when you look around, you're going to see all the same people that you saw around Thanksgiving and Christmas from last year. All right, all the new people who said it was a new me, they all then fell off and went right back to their old routines. So the third day, what it means is, is any situation in life where the newness of the situation has worn off, the novelty is gone, the excitement of just doing the thing doesn't no longer exist because you've done it enough times like what sounds like you described here josh and the only thing that's left is you and the hard work you and the showing up 
and realizing that this thing that you signed up for, like running the 16 kilometers, is not one big party. This is not just one big celebration. There's some actual work that's going to have to be done here. It's going to be some gritting and grinding, as we like to say. Mm -hmm. And the third day is not the instance of that happening. What it really is, Josh, is the decision that you make as to whether you're going to show up or not. And the third day is really, and what I like to call it, is a decision that separates the pros from the amateurs. Because an amateur has an option when they hit that third day. Because an amateur could just say, you know what, I'm not going to run today. It's too cold. I don't feel like it. I'm tired. I got something to do on a computer. I had an email I got to respond to. My foot hurts. I don't want to run. And they mm -hmm. just don't do it. And nobody cares because they're an amateur. Nobody's depending on them. They're not accountable to anybody. But a professional, if, and by definition, a professional is a person who, let's just say you were getting paid for this. And even if you thought about it like that, even if you're not getting paid for it, you think about it like that, the professional has no choice but to show up. When I was playing ball, and this is one of the reasons I said you, know, you can't complain to the people back home about what's going on when you're in Montenegro, you're looking outside at the, you know, the, the sea, and they're back home working at you know, some nine to five job that they hate. What are you going to tell them? The pro has to show up every single day, even when they don't feel like showing up. Why? Because first of all, you're getting paid for it. Secondly, that's what a professional does. A professional shows up every time and they deliver every time. That's why people pay a professional. You don't get paid because of your talent or your ceiling. You get paid because of the consistency of your delivery and people know expect exactly what to expect from you. So for you, Josh, mm -hmm. this is really about the third day. So I know you asked me for something motivational. Maybe you can look at this motivational, maybe not. But really what I like to tell my audience is I, I am not a motivational speaker. Now I'll give something that might be motivational, but it depends on how you take it. And it's really me letting you know that this is the third day. And at this point you get to decide, are you a pro or are you an amateur? Now, if that demotivates you, then maybe it's because you're an amateur. And if it motivates <laughs> you, it's because you're a pro. So it's really up to you what you're going to do with it. Yeah, no, it's it's a great answer. And I'm, I'm very glad I uh, I asked it. And now I'll, I'll probably just be repeating third day on the last last couple kilometers uh, in a little bit. So I, I appreciate yeah, that. Really this has been great, man. Uh, really, really great episode. I, I've really enjoyed hearing the story and the, and the ups and downs. If if anybody wants to get in touch with you or learn a little bit more about you or your business or find out more about your books or anything like that, where do you recommend that they go? Well, I'm on all the social media platforms. Uh, I haven't really, I'm not really on TikTok. I might start publishing there every now and then. More often, we'll see. But I'm on Instagram probably the most actively, but I post on every platform, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, every single day. Just look my name up. As far as my books, I have a lot of them. But I will tell everybody about my latest book, which we just talked about. Josh, I don't know if you were setting me up for that, but it is called- I actually Third wasn't, day. wow. I'll yeah, take credit though, know. yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, this is my newest book. It is called The Third Day. The decision that separates the pros from the amateurs. So this is all about what we just talked about here. How do you show up and give your best effort when you least feel like it? That is what the third mm -hmm. day is about. This is what the professionals do. And this is a mindset. Being a professional is not about a contract or a business suit or money. Being a professional is a mentality. And when you show up like a pro, then eventually you're going to get the spoils of the pros. So I give everybody a free copy of this book, a physical book. All I ask is that you cover the shipping. Now, I know you're in Canada, so anybody there who's in Canada, it's a little bit more to ship to Canada, but we can ship to Canada as well. Canada or the U.S., all you do is cover the shipping. Just go to thirddaybook.com. That's spelled out, thirddaybook.com, and I'll give you the link and all that so you can post awesome. it. Awesome. I might be visiting that website uh, later today. 
Uh, Dre, this is great. And 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 lastly, um, I I think you just like differentiated kind of motivation and mindset and and how important that is because anybody could watch a motivational video and get hyped up for 15 20 minutes right maybe even an hour or two Mm -hmm. but if you're gonna really get through the grind for weeks and months and years it's about the mindset so i I really i love the title i love the subtext there so i'm gonna have to check it out but dre thanks again for coming on the show really appreciate it 100 percent. thank you for having me on thank you for sharing your platform i appreciate the opportunity